has nothing to do with any specific nation state or any specific empire or any specific government. It actually spreads over all of them. So I'm not saying that your politics, you shouldn't hold them passionately because you're going to do it anyway. I'm just saying, if Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, then we need our allegiance to him to take care and inform all of our other allegiances, however we find them. Politics, this is always a hot topic. Everyone has an opinion about how things should go. Well, today, Pastor Daniel shares that your true allegiance is to the kingdom of God, not a political party. Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Pastor Daniel explains that his kingdom supersedes every other nation, government, and political agenda. He encourages you to let this reality shape your view and impact your personal stance. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Isaiah chapter 9 as he begins his message, The Government. We think about oftentimes our families at this time. It's a Sunday right now as I'm sharing this with you guys. And when I grew up in the family that I grew up in, every Sunday evening was a family gathering kind of classic, kind of old school, Italian-American family where it didn't matter who you brought, but you had to be there. Normally it was at our house. So literally every Sunday evening at our house, it was mayhem. That's probably the right word. Because in my family, everybody talked. And they all talked at the same time. They all talked really, really loud. Ironically, when you're from the Northeast, a lot of the Northeast Italians, when they retire, they actually move from the New York metropolitan area. They move down to Florida. And so I had a whole, I have a whole crew of family who literally, and this is not even a joke. It, it could be in a movie though. They all migrate. They all live on like one block in Florida. And so like when Lynn and I, we'd go and visit and we didn't know where they were. And so we'd literally just drive into the street and we'd shut the car up and roll the windows down wherever all the noise came from we'd know whose house they were at. And literally, you could hear the noise, and everybody was loud and talking. And it was a blast. It was a blast, you know? And it was great because my mom, you know, and my grandmother, both unbelievable cooks. And so the day Saturday was cooking day, which was really, really fun because I'd be the, you know, the son who was hovering around the kitchen, you know? And I'd grab like a piece of Italian bread, and I'd walk by the saucepan. I'd drop it. Whoops. Oh, sorry, Grandma. And she'd be like, you know, just start getting ready. Get out of here. And I'd be like, go and get it. I'd be stirring it around. You know how it goes. You know, you, 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 you graze as you go. But what's interesting is in a really loud, everybody talked, and they talked about everything except for two things. You're not allowed to talk in my home about religion and politics. Anybody else grew up in a family like that? Yeah. No religion and no, you can talk about everything. I mean, they talk about body fluids. But they wouldn't talk about religion or politics in my house. And so it was loud, but those two topics were taboo. Why? Because those two topics are topics that when the topic comes up, everybody gets up in arms over it. Everybody does. I would say that 60% 
maybe even more, maybe 70% of the mean emails that I get as a pastor, it always has to do with politics. Always. I think the reason people get so worked up over politics and religion is because both categories of ideas are really personal. They're important to us. There are beliefs about God and what God expects of us. That's the religious side. And then because of those values, then how should we organize ourselves? Because that's what politics is. I had a friend who used to say, politics, poly is many and ticks are blood-sucking organisms. Do the math. <laughs> it's a good one. But you realize, and I say it in jest, and I know someone, oh, that's all you're going to hear. I just said that, and you're like, oh, you know, and so that's up between you and Jesus. But really, the word politics, it comes from the Greek word polis, which literally means the city-state, the Greek city-state. And so politics is the ideas on how to govern the people. And because we hold these views really personally, they become weighted beliefs, beliefs that are really important. And what happens is, is when you get yourself in an environment with somebody who has a different set of either religious beliefs or political beliefs, now all of a sudden everybody puts the boxing gloves on because these are so personally held. And I bring all this up because in honor of Christmas, I am talking about politics in church. And so in my family, that would be completely taboo on every level, totally unacceptable. But we have to talk about politics today because in our Jesus at Street Level series in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, what we learn is that Jesus is a ruler and Jesus has a government and a kingdom. And Jesus as a ruler with a government and a kingdom, we always have to make sure that in our dual citizenship, being a citizen of this age and of this country, that we make sure that our allegiance is to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords more than it is an allegiance to a worldly empire. Now, I realize that that statement, that kind of offends everybody who's got strong political beliefs. That's, that's like a blanket statement. But we're going to see why we need to learn how to let Jesus and his kingdom take the main place and we subordinate all of our other political views to Jesus being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I think this topic becomes even more weighted because if you look at the history of Christianity as it relates to kind of American politics over the last hundred years, what you actually find is that at the turn of the 20th century and for about the first 40 years, the church had been co-opted by liberalism and the church became an entity of pushing forth liberal values, right? And then the reaction to that, when you get into the 60s and 70s, you end up with the rise of what they used to call the religious right. And then the church got co-opted and became a promoter of conservative values. And what you have right now is because the pendulum is always swinging, now you have the church that kind of doesn't know what we're doing. And there's some people who think the church can only be classic, 
conservative values or some people, it can only be classic liberal values. And I'm here to tell you that in Jesus's day, there was both conservative and liberal factions, both within Judaism and within the Roman Empire that he existed in. And guess what? They both got together to kill him. Because Jesus was never accommodationist. Jesus never accommodated one side. Jesus actually was subversive on both sides. Jesus was simultaneously the most liberal and the most conservative rabbi in Israel. Jesus was simultaneously offensive to the conservative Roman element and the liberal Roman element. And I think that's what we need to learn about Jesus. See, for a long time, everybody wanted to say, Jesus is political, and so Jesus is political based on whatever our politics are. And then my generation of pastors say, because we're reacting to what was an over-politization of Jesus, I hear my friends and guys I know say, Jesus is apolitical. Jesus is non-political, and I don't agree with that either. I believe that Jesus is and always has been subversively political. Jesus undermines everybody. Why? Because Jesus refuses to exist within the systems that were in place in his day, and I believe Jesus refuses to be enlisted in the systems of our day. Why? Because he's got his own kingdom. And the kingdom of God is where he reigns. And the kingdom of God has nothing to do with any specific nation state or any specific empire or any specific government. It actually spreads over all of them. So I'm not saying that your politics, you shouldn't hold them passionately because you're going to do it anyway. I'm just saying, if Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, then we need our allegiance to him to take care of and inform all of our other allegiances, however we find them. Does that make sense? Okay, so we'll get to the word. Open up Isaiah chapter 9. We're looking at verses 6 and 7. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's Bibles in the pews in front of you. If you're in the front seat, just take them from underneath. I want you to read along with this. It's easy to find the book of Isaiah. Why? Because the two largest books in our Bible, the book of Psalms and the book of Isaiah, are both really close to each other. So Psalms, there's 150 of them. Single largest book in your Bible. And if you just flip through the pages, you're going to land on Psalms at some point. If you get to Psalms, just go to your right a few books and you get to the prophet Isaiah, 66 books or chapters in that book. And again, if you're flipping around, you're going to find Isaiah. So it's easy to find Isaiah chapter nine, verses six and seven. And I've encouraged you to memorize these two verses. Look what it says. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. It says, for unto us, a child is born and unto us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I gave you three simple points. That first, the son, Jesus, is a gift. For unto us, a son is given. And then we found that the son, Jesus, is a ruler. Not a ruler like a piece of wood with little markings on it that you can measure out things. But he is a king. It says the government will be upon his shoulders. And what we learned about the kingdom or the government of Jesus was that Jesus is strong enough and powerful enough to support 
his own government on his own broad shoulders. That's an important reality because most no ruler can say that. A ruler could say, I am here by the strength of law. I'm here by military might. But Jesus is like, no, in and of myself, I can support and sustain my own government. That Jesus' shoulders are strong enough. It speaks of his power. And it's might. And then we learn that the son is indescribable, although we're figuring, the prophet tries, that he's wonderful and counselor and mighty God and everlasting father and prince of peace. But if you notice in verse 7, it focuses really down on the reign of the ruler, on the government of God, of the kingdom of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It focuses us down. And so we're going to spend our time there today. Notice what it says first. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now, this teaches us that Jesus' government is limitless. Jesus' government is limitless. It's without limits. Notice, it's unchanging in character of his government and peace, and we're going to talk about that, and without end in space and time. Notice, not only does it say there will be no end to his reign, but also a little farther down it says, from that time forward, even forever. Think about that for a second. That Jesus is, as a king, as a ruler, his reign, his government is without limits. Now, if you are going to back a candidate, assuming that you agree with their positions, are you going to back a candidate who maybe has a couple of terms in office or can reign until somebody overthrows them? Or are you going to back a candidate who's got a reign that is unlimited? Anybody know which horse you're supposed to pitch your wagon to? Yeah, the one who's got the limitless reign. The one who's going to reign forever upon ever, ages upon ages without end. Jesus' reign and his government is limitless. Now, what's really fascinating about this, if you were to look in your Bibles at Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, you can either keep your finger here, I'll just read it to you. John the Baptist, it says this, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John the Baptist, fulfilling another prophecy in Isaiah as the forerunner of Jesus, comes and says, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this is the thing about the reign of Jesus. And I think this is why when you start talking about Jesus' government, Jesus' reign, his kingdom, that it gets confusing for us. Because when John came, he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Turn to God because God's kingdom is at hand. And then what you find is that when you look around, does it really seem like God's kingdom is at hand in the world that we live in? It sure doesn't, right? Because what we learn about God's kingdom, theologians say it this way, that the kingdom of God is already and not yet. It is and it is coming. And that, my friends, is a tension that we want to be resolved that isn't resolved. 
See, God's kingdom is already, but it is not yet in its fulfillment. Because if it was, we would know it because his government is characterized by peace. And we don't see a whole lot of peace in the world, do we? See, for you and I, what we learn is that God's kingdom is breaking into the world wherever it is that God reigns. Now, according to our Bible, where is it that God reigns? Right now, in the people of God, amidst the family of God, or it should be. And so, in order for the reign of God to be within the people of God, then you and I need to lean in to him as our king. We need to subject ourselves under his rule. But the question for each one of us is, is that is God really in control of our own lives? Now, I realize that's a big question, isn't it? How many of you guys have ever heard of in Christmas the idea of regifting? Everyone giggles. You know, it's like you get a gift, didn't really want it, don't really open it. You save it till next year, and then you give it to somebody else. Now, if you know Seinfeld at all, there was a whole big thing about regifting, a great episode about regifting. But here's the thing God has given you the gift of your own life, and God wants you to regift it back to Him. God's into regifting. God has given you the ability to make decisions over your own life. And God is like, no, no, I'm giving to you. And God actually wants us to say, God, no, 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 this life is yours. I was bought at a price. I'm not my own. So I'm re-gifting myself back to you. But I've been around long enough, and so have you, to realize that oftentimes we believe in Jesus, but he's really not the king of our life. There's all sorts of other things that are king, all sorts of other things that take precedence and priorities, all sorts of other ethical and political and economic concerns really drive the course of our lives. And what we do when we do that is we are hitching our wagon not to the unlimited, limitless government of the king of kings and the lord of lords, but we're pitching our wagon to a series of ethics and economics and politics that are earthbound and worldly, that haven't even, for us here in America, that haven't even been able to sustain the time of even 1,000 years, even 500 years, still in its infancy, as it is weighed against limitless and unlimited government. Who's reigning in your life? Who's reigning in my life? Is Jesus given his proper place as ruler in our lives? Now, when you start talking about the unlimited, limitless government of Jesus, I want you to notice this because it says, and of the increase of his government and peace. Now, didn't we just see that in verse 6, that Jesus is called the what? the prince of peace, right? And I told you that that word prince in the Hebrew, it literally means the administrator of peace. When we think of a prince, we think the guy who's going to get the crown after the king is no longer there. But no, the prince in that culture was the administrator. And so Jesus is the administrator of peace. And we talked about that word peace, right? It, the Hebrew word shalom. It means unlimited human flourishing, complete and total prosperity, the way things ought to be. 
everything working together in perfection in the way that God created it. And what we learn is that the reason we should celebrate the limitless government of Jesus is because Jesus' government is all about ultimate God glorification and human flourishing. And this is why we like terms for politicians. This is why we like checks and balances. Because we say, if somebody is left to their own devices for too long, people are going to be oppressed, and this person is going to be exalted. But Jesus' government is intimately tied to the perfect way God wants the world to work. So my friends, my encouragement to you is we need to find how God wants us to involve ourselves in the kingdom of Jesus, for God's peace to enter the world through our lives. Because if you look around, you find that things ain't the way they ought to be, right? Things are not the way they ought to be. But God wants to do a work, and the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, is designed to be the forerunner until it's fulfillment of God's kingdom. And so really, the kingdom of God has to begin in the way we interact, the way we function within the family of God. And we're going to get to this in a little bit more in a second. But for now, just remember that Jesus' government will limitlessly expand his influence and is designed to create peace that knows no end. And isn't that what they told the shepherds, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, because the king of kings and the Lord of lords is now here to take his position as ruler and reigner within the kingdom of God. Now, notice, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. Next, we learn that Jesus fulfills ancient promises. Jesus fulfills ancient promises. Just the way the prophet Isaiah is writing some 600 years before the birth of Jesus, Jesus and his government actually stands on the shoulders of another one of God's promises. And so I need to give you a little bit of background about this to make sure that you understand why this is important. See, God had promised this reign and government to a man named David. Many people have heard about David. David was maybe your first international man of mystery. Jesus is Thanks for joining us today as Pastor Daniel walked us through what it means for Jesus to be the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. You learn that Jesus wants to usher in a government that is all about glorifying God and letting people flourish. And as Pastor Daniel shared, Jesus wants you to get on board with his plans so that he can use you to make this happen in our broken and hurting world. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you 
for prayerfully considering this. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus' Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus' Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel helps you see that Jesus fulfills ancient promises that King David's descendant would sit on the throne for all time. We'll be looking at the political history of Israel and who David was. Pastor Daniel will share that even though David was a train wreck in a lot of ways, God loved him and promised him that one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.